Morena Tefano, the reading for today is a Song of Songs, chapter 5, verses, verse 2, over to chapter 6, verse 9. So if you have the Black Church Bibles, that starts on page 582. So starting from chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I have taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I have washed my feet, must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, those watchmen off the walls. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you charge us so? My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among ten thousand. His head is purest gold, his hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your beloved turn that we may look for, you with him, look for him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the garden and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. You are beautiful as Terza, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. Turn your eyes from me, they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each one has its twin, not one of them is missing. Your temples behind your veil, they are like the halves of a pomegranate. Sixty queens there may be, and eighty concubines, and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique, the only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great you can join us for church this morning. Now, uh, that passage reminded me of my favorite um, scarecrow joke. Why did the scarecrow get a, a trophy? Because he was outstanding in his field. Did you see? She called him outstanding. 
Her beloved was outstanding. There you go. Um, stay for coffee. It'll be great. Um, uh, it's been really great to go through uh, Song of Songs together. Claire loves it. Look at it. Yeah. Um, uh, we appreciate that uh, it's probably raised a lot of questions for a lot of people, and uh, some of those questions you'd like probably answered from the front, or at least having, uh, having a chance to ask them. And so uh, we do have a Q&A next week, uh, but we'd really like to uh, give thoughtful answers to your questions. So there is um, a, web, uh, a form on our webpage. We'd love for you to go and submit your questions there. Give us some time to think about them. Uh, you can submit them right up until next week, during the sermon next week as well. Uh, but um, uh, Adele and I will get up here uh, and take some time to uh, work through some of those questions. Uh, we get to do question time every night, at, uh, every Sunday at night church, but we don't get to do it often at morning church. Um, now, the link uh, on the email that, uh, if you get our e-news that went out on Friday, didn't work, uh, but that link will work. Uh, apparently, capitals and URLs are not good things, so that's my mistake. But if you follow that link, cityonahill.co.nz, backslash Q&A, uh, there'll be a place for you to put a question. Um, you can put your details there uh, if you'd like someone to uh, be in touch with you about uh, the question. You might have a question that you want asked, but you don't want answered from the front. You want someone to be in touch with you. That's great. That's fine. We'll do that. Um, or you might want to ask a question anonymously. You don't have to put your details in, uh, but you can still submit a question and we'll uh, endeavor to answer that. Um, depending on how many we get, we'll either answer all of them or we'll kind of clump uh, like questions together. Um, but that'll be for next week. So uh, I really look forward to hearing how you're wrestling with God's Word. Um, let's pray as we uh, get stuck into uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Song of Songs. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your Word. Uh, Lord, we um, just are really so thankful for the way that your Word speaks to good times as well as hard times. Uh, that your Word doesn't have unrealistic expectations of life in a broken world. And so, Lord, now we pray that as we uh, look at what your word has to say about what happens or what to do when relationships break, uh, that we might have uh, ears to hear uh, and courage to believe uh, your good wisdom on this subject. And we pray that we might see not just um, ourselves and our relationships in this passage, but that we might see you and the way you have fought for us, despite the brokenness of our relationship with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to start with a kind of, can you name this love song? Uh, I think it's pretty easy. Name an artist, tell me, hello from the outside, at least I can say that I've tried to tell you I'm sorry for breaking your heart, but it doesn't matter, it clearly doesn't tear you apart anymore. No, I can't sing it. It's because I would be a bit of a cold. That would uh, Adele, not that Adele, the other Adele. But that Adele is very thankful for the singer Adele because now everyone knows how to spell her name. Uh, it was an absolute dog's breakfast before the Adele singer was famous. The song, hello, that's right. It's a love song, right? It's a love song. Uh, she is pouring out her heart, but it is not a happy, sunny, rainbows and lollipops love song, is it? It's that other type of love song. It's dark, it's gloomy, it's painful. It's the other side of the love coin. When a relationship flips from a happy love song to a gloomy uh, love song, it's sad and it's painful and it's confusing. 
Uh, it can be a, a marriage relationship or a friendship or a family relationship. And when it happens, we, we don't know what we should do, or sometimes we don't even know if there's even anything we can do. Well, Song of Songs is going to speak into that for us today. It's going to speak to when love turns dark, when relationships disconnect. Uh, now, Song of Songs, it's uh, a, a part of the Old Testament. It's part of God's wisdom literature, and we're in our third week. Uh, and the Song of Songs is the greatest love song ever written. And what it does is it gives us God's wisdom for good relationships. Now, it's a poetic love song about a couple, a man and a woman, relating well. And as they relate well, following God's good design, we see their relationship flourishes. Uh, but it would be a mistake to think that Song of Songs is just one of those sunny love songs, a fairy tale where everything goes right. If it was, we wouldn't have chapter 5. You see, last week we left our couple and their love was in full bloom. Now, we're almost blushing as we watched them uh, declare uh, their love for one another. It was sunny and it was beautiful. Uh, but then we come into chapter 5 and something dark emerges in their relationship. It's kind of hello from the outside sort of stuff, like quite literally actually. There's pain and there's sadness, there's disconnection and there's frustration that appears. But Song of Songs, like the, like the rest of the Bible, it has the emotional bandwidth the emotional bandwidth to speak to both the joys and the sadnesses and the sorrows of life. And it gives us here God's wisdom for good relationships in the real world, where it's not all sunny love songs. So come with me to chapter 5. The first thing we see here is the pain of disconnection. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 2. Now, this is the woman. She said, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Now, in chapter 5, we're not sure whether this is a dream she's having or whether this is a kind of concrete memory of some time in their past. But what's going on here is the man is there, but he is outside. Continue on in verse 2. Uh, he calls, open to, me my, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Now, see, it's just before the dawn, and he is covered with dew. Maybe he's been away for several days, caring for his flock in a distant field, and he's come home at some ungodly hour, and he wants to come back in. He wants to crawl into the warm bed with his lover and return to the intimacy we saw last week. Last week, she welcomed him in. But this week, verse 3, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? She hears his voice, but she's resistant. Do you know the feeling? She's tucked up in her warm bed. She's got her udi on. She's already had her shower. She's had her chamomile tea. She is absolutely not interested whatsoever in getting out of her warm bed to let him in. You know the feeling, don't you? Now, we're not told why. There's no judgment here in this passage as to whether he's in the wrong or she's in the wrong. It's almost as though that doesn't matter. We don't know if he's been away for seven days and instead of coming straight home, he's gone to the pub and she's over waiting up for him. We don't know whether it had anything to do with him at all. Maybe she's had a hard day at work. Maybe the kids have totally worn her out. Maybe she's not feeling well. We don't know why, but we definitely know the feeling, don't we? 
He's not giving up easily. Verse 4, he perseveres. My beloved thrusts his hand through the, the, through the latch opening. He knocks really loud. He waves through the window. He puts a note under the door. Whatever it is, he attempts to connect with her. And his attempts to connect with her, they awaken her feelings. It says there, my heart began to pound for him. Then verse 5, I arose for my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers flowing with myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. It's too late. We've gone for a moment where they are intimate and they are connected, and now they are disconnected and they are distant. Physically and emotionally, they are separated. And we all know what that's like, don't we? It's not just in a marriage relationship. It can be in a friendship, in a family relationship. You say something and it's out of your mouth. And uh uh-oh, the relationship disconnects. You say you'll do something and you, you, you genuinely forget and the relationship disconnects. You're frustrated, you're sad, you're too busy in the relationship. This couple here, they were so close. But now they're like two ships passing in the night. And we see, verse 6, again, that this disconnection, it is very painful. She says, My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. You see, when you're experiencing a relationship that's disconnected, there is pain, and there is fear, and there is regret, and there is confusion. And it kind of sits on your heart, heavy, like a rock. But how do we get here? And so often the question we ask in those moments, how did we get here? How do we get to this point? Only last week we had this beautiful picture, Genesis chapter 2, like picture where this man and this woman in the Garden of Eden like embrace, and they were one flesh and they were naked and they felt no shame. They were as connected as they could be. But all of a sudden now we're out of the garden. We're Genesis chapter 3 world and there's tension and there's frustration and there's disconnection. We all know about it, don't we? We all experience relationships that, that disconnect and that disappoint. Now, there's a few simple surface reasons why this happens. Now, the first reason why this happens is that we're just all a little bit different. You're wired your way and I'm wired my way. So I wake up in the morning and I expect everyone to think and feel exactly like I do. And then I get really surprised when they don't. And that causes disconnection and frustration because we don't understand each other. Another reason why relationships can disconnect is because we've all got baggage. We've all got the baggage of of living in a broken world. And we bring that baggage with us into our relationships. And we we, we might have the baggage from a really hard home life. We might have the baggage from a a previous relationship that went totally pear-shaped. And we carry the scars from that one into the new one. We might have the baggage from stressful situations unrelated to that relationship, like uni or work or some other conflict in our life. And we bring that baggage into the relationship and it has an impact. And things don't work as they should. And the relationship, it disconnects. But this woman here in Song of Songs, what does she do in the face of a relationship that has disconnected? What does she do? We'll come back to Song of Songs. The woman, she doesn't give up. She, point two, she goes looking for connection. Uh, Look there, halfway through verse 6. Halfway through verse verse 6. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. 
And then verse 7, the watchmen found me as they made their way, as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. She goes looking for connection. She, she, she heads out into the streets looking for her man. And as she does so, she's taking a risk. It is a risk to go looking for connection. It's three o'clock in the morning. Uh, she's out. She's down on the streets in her dressing gown. These watchmen, verse 7, they're there for her protection, but instead they beat her up. They take her cloak. Uh, they take advantage of her. We don't know if this is real or a dream, uh, but what we do know is that she's left a place of safety and security that we saw last week. And now without her, without, with a broken relationship, with disconnection in that relationship, she's vulnerable. And she makes herself more vulnerable to seek that connection again. And so she heads to the streets to find him. And when that doesn't work, she retreats from the streets. She heads back to her girlfriends and she pleads for their help. She pleads for their help to find connection with her man. Have a look there in verse 8. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Now, the girlfriends here, they're not convinced he's worth it. They reply, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? It's like we're back at school. Uh, The boy has annoyed the girl. The girls go together in a clump that no man should enter. She cries. They say he's not worth it. They say there are plenty of fish in the sea. There's other guys out there. What's so special about this one? And this woman in Song of Songs, what does she say? She says, I won't have a bar of it. She tells them how wonderful he is. Verse 10, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Now, this is the only time she describes him in the book. He describes her three times. Uh, She gets one chance. And what she describes here isn't a visual representation of her bloke here. If you took these verses down to the cops tonight and said, I want to make a missing persons report, they would laugh at you. You haven't got enough information. This is not a real physical description of him. This is poetry. And the goal of this poetry is not to convey to us what he actually looks like, but it's to convey to us what he is like to her. Well, what is he to her? Well, she knows he's not one of many, but that he's one of a million. And in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, he has young, has the hair of a young man. Must be nice. Um, he has sensitive and gentle eyes. Verse 13 and 16, he has lips like lilies, a mouth that is sweet, that is uh, out of his mouth come kind, life-giving words that bring safety and security. And then she describes her body in verse 14. Now just settle on gents, don't get too overwhelmed by jealousy. His arms are like rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory. Uh, His legs are like pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as to its cedars. Now she's not saying he's super buff like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's saying that her man is steadfast. He is reliable He is consistent. To her, he is permanent and safe and secure. And she's saying they have a real and deep connection. Verse 16, she says, This is my beloved. This is my friend. Now, at that description, the girlfriends, they are convinced this man is worth it, and so they're up for the search. 
Uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. Where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did he, your beloved turn that we may look for him with you? You see, this one is worth chasing, worth working on. A relationship that is worth recovering. And then we don't know how long it took, but the lovers, they, re- they reconnect. Chapter 6, verse 2. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to browse in the gardens, to gather lilies. And I, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. You see the couple there back in the garden. They're back in the garden of chapter 4. They're back in the place of intimacy and safety and connection. They've, they've worked through their tension. They've worked through their fear. They've worked through their miscommunication. And by working through it, they've grown in their friendship. They've grown in their relationship. But how did it happen? How did it happen here? What did they do to move from this place of disconnection and dislocation to a place of intimacy and connection again? You see, she really didn't want to get up for him. She really was warm in her bed, comfortable where she was, and resistant to getting up for him. And he didn't wait for her. He knocked and knocked, and then he took off. They were disconnected. But what happened to change that dynamic for them? Well, I want you to realize that, have a look at, look at the woman, look at her change of focus. In chapter 5, verse 3, as she's in bed with her camel tea and her hoodie on, she is looking internally. She's worried about herself, she's worried about her comfort, she's worried about her convenience, her preferences, her worries, her inner turmoil. And then the girlfriend's questions, it may not have been sincere, but what they did, the girlfriend's questions, was they, they moved her from looking, looking inward to looking outward. They moved her from looking at herself to looking at him. Now, at the girlfriend's questions, she could have doubled down on his shortcomings. She could have doubled down on what he'd done wrong, coming home too late, not, wait, not waiting for her to open up. But instead, she goes, from looking at, she, she goes from looking internally to looking at him, externally, looking at his character. She reminds herself of who he is to her. And here's the key. She begins speaking the truth. The truth about him. She begins speaking the truth about him to herself and to anyone else that is listening. Truth about his character. Truth about his love. Truth about the promises he has made. The commitment he has made to her. And do you know what speaking the truth does? Truth calms your heart. Truth can take you out of your emotional funk and help you begin to see things clearly again. Truth realigns your desires. It reminds you of what is really important. And truth opens the door to reconciliation and reconnection. That's what's going on here. And so point three, how are we going to experience real and lasting connection in our relationships? How are we going to deal with relationship tension when it comes up in our, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, or even here at church? Are we just going to paper over the cracks? It's a favorite of most people. She'll be right, pretend it doesn't exist, and just play on. Uh, and to do so, we're just going to live with uh, shallow, superficial relationships, or, 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 go, or go nowhere places in relationships where there are issues and, and questions that are just off limits. We just never deal with them. 
And so what we do is we end up hurting each other in the same ways over and over again because we never actually deal with our disconnection. Or are we going to retreat from relationships? Retreat as a, as a way of self-protection. Now to that, hear what C.S. Lewis has to say about love. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this, he says, There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. We could ignore problems or we could retreat from relationships. But if we do either of those, we will never experience the relational connections that we really deeply desire. But the Bible actually gives us a better way. Uh, It gives us a better way to real and lasting connection. And it begins with dealing with the core core issue. The core issue of all our relationship tension. The Bible tells us the source at the deepest level, the core of all relationship tension. It says it's our distorted desires and wants. It's our distorted desires and wants. Have a look at this verse from James. Now, the book of James in the New Testament, James says this, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. What's James saying here? He's saying that we all go into relationships with selfish desires. We, by nature, go into relationships with an expectation of what we will get out of it. And the result is the mess we see around us. Fights and quarrels, disappointments and disconnection. But why do we do that? Why do we go into relationships with selfish desires? We do that because sin is at the heart of every human being. You see, sin is the difference between the beautiful picture of Genesis chapter 2 of of one flesh uh, and no shame and Genesis chapter 3 of conflict and competition. See, sin is the difference between Song of Songs chapter 4 where there's intimacy and and, and connection uh, and chapter 5 where there is uh, distance and disconnection. And so the path to better relationships with one another is to deal with the core issue, is to deal with sin. And you know what the great news of the gospel is? The great news of the gospel is that God pursues relationship with you. He pursues relationship with you by dealing with your sin. You see, just like in Song of Songs, chapter 5, the woman takes a risk. She makes herself vulnerable uh, to go and seek out her lover. And so did Jesus. He took a risk, leaving the safety and security of heaven to go out and seek and save his people. And just as the man here is described as superhuman, consistent, steadfast, utterly reliable, so is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is gold from head to toe. The Lord Jesus has pursued you and pursued you with an everlasting love. And the Lord Jesus loves you. And he wants relationship with you. So much so, he gave his life for you. It says this in John's Gospel. Jesus says this in John's Gospel. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life 
for the sheep. You know that cross at Easter, that cross on which Jesus died, he laid down his life, taking on himself your sin and your guilt and your shame. And he took it on himself, he dealt with it once and for all, so that you could be reconciled to God, which means that there is nothing that separates you and God anymore. The sin that brought disconnection between you and God, that brought disappointment between you and God, it has been wiped clean. It has been forgiven. And also those distorted desires that we have inside of us, the ones that make us selfish and arrogant and blind, it means that God is now working on those as well. You see, if you trust in Jesus, God is inside you right now by His Holy Spirit. And He is working by His Spirit and His Word to get things in the right order in your heart. He is sanctifying you day after day, transforming you from the inside out so that you no longer go into relationships just for what you can get out of them, but you can go into relationships now with an attitude of self-giving love and service. Knowing that your identity is secure in Jesus, you don't need to get your identity from a relationship, but you already have it in Him. Knowing that your future is secure in Christ, So you don't have to go looking for a relationship to bring you the joy and happiness just for the the short term of this life because you have eternal joy and happiness with Jesus now. You see, as we grow in our relationship with God, as we let His Spirit do its transforming work in our hearts, then we find ourselves in a good place to pursue better relationships with one another. And this not only, uh, not only does the gospel deal with that kind of core issue that wrecks uh, relationships, that sin issue, but the gospel can reshape how we relate to one another today. The gospel can reshape how we relate to one another today. I've got three ways that the gospel reshapes our relationships. Uh, number one, the gospel, shaped in, uh, the gospel reshapes our relationships now. Uh, The first way it does it is by dealing with ourselves first. Uh, Now, this is, uh, I think, the most important thing you can hear this morning. Uh, If you take this first point to heart, then I promise it will profoundly change your relationships. That's a big promise. But hear me out. Most of your relationship tensions and problems and fights, they happen when this happens. They happen when you focus on all the problems and the shortcomings of the other person. Most of your relationship tension happens when you focus on all the problems and the shortcomings of the other person. You see, we are very, very good at being convicted of the sin of other people. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said? How could they do that? Lots of people go to the marriage counsellor and they say they want to work on their marriage relationship and really what they're asking to do is to list off all the problems they've got with the other person. But do you know what the gospel does? The gospel reminds us that we're not perfect either. We're not perfect either. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, a guy wrote vast tracts of the New Testament. Uh, Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about himself in 1 Timothy. 
He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, Paul is not saying objectively he is the worst sinner in the world. He's not saying he's more sinful than Hitler or Stalin or insert your worst person here. What he's saying is that if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside you shows you your blind spots and he shows you your sin and he, he, he lets you see your thoughts and your desires as God sees them. He helps you see them clearly for what they really are. And for Paul, once that happens, he cannot imagine anyone else in the world more messed up than him. And for those of you who follow Jesus, as he does that for you, as he shows you your heart as he sees it, you can never imagine anyone in the world as messed up as you. You begin to see yourself as the holy God sees you, not the airbrushed version you put on Instagram, but what the Lord sees. And seeing yourself clearly, you'll then be overwhelmed. You cannot imagine how God has loved you. You cannot imagine how much God has done to forgive you. And then you take that posture of being a follower of Jesus and you take that posture into your relationships. Not just so you're down on yourself, not so that you're kicking yourself all the time, but so that you're honest with yourself. So that you go into relationships acutely aware that you're not perfect. You go into relationships going, the sin I'm most concerned with is my own. The sin I will go to war with is not the other person's sin, but my own sin. And you go into relationships saying, I'm going to relate to this person as an honest, forgiven sinner. That's the first way the gospel reshapes our relationships. We focus on ourselves and where we need to grow, not on the other person. The second way the gospel reshapes our relationships is it makes us stop and thank God for the other person. Uh, did you notice uh, how the woman in Song of Songs did this? Uh, God helped her turn her focus from her internal turmoil to see the other person. And as she does that, she praises him and thanks God for him. And did you know that in any relationship, if you're able to stop and turn to God and thank God for them, if you can do that, then you can change the trajectory of that relationship from disconnection to connection. Now, I understand that this may be impossible for some of us. Uh, there is abuse or, or pain or such profound dysfunction uh, that, humanly speaking, reconnection isn't possible. Um, and that's tragic and that's real. Uh, and please do not hear me saying that in those situations, that it's, it's on you to, to turn that around. Uh, those are the exception, and we're here in God's wisdom literature, which tells us how things usually work in God's world. And so that's the exception. If that's the case, uh, we'd love to help you work through those things. Uh, but uh, I'm talking about the 99% here at the moment. Because 99% of the time, choosing to specifically thank God for them, that they are made in God's image, that they are handmade by God. If you can thank God for them, 
it will change your attitude towards them. It will change your attitude towards them. They will no longer be an enemy, but they are a creature made by God. They'll no longer be an enemy, but they are a brother or sister for whom Christ died. And it may provide the potential for connection and listening and reconciliation as God changes our attitude to them, as we give thanks to him for them. The third way we can experience gospel-shaped relationships is by imitating the self-giving love of Jesus, overflowing the love of Jesus into our relationships. You see, Jesus never calls you to do anything that he hasn't done for you already. Jesus loves you, even though you are unlovely. Jesus loves you even when you fail. And that abundant, undeserved love, it is the fuel for you to love others. And all God wants you to do in your relationship is to let that cup that is full and overflowing of His love, to let that overflow into your marriage. Let it overflow into your friendships. Let it overflow into your family relationships. Let it overflow into how you treat those around you. Because all you're doing is overflowing the abundant, undeserved love that God has shown you, overflowing it in patience and kindness and forgiveness to others. And this is why a follower of Jesus, they can love people even if they're a little bit difficult, right? It's why parents can love kids that are not easy to love and why, why kids can love parents even if they're not easy. It's why a nurse can love a difficult patient or, or why a teacher can love a child who is not easy. That's why one worker can love a fellow worker even if they are not easy. Why? Because we are overflowing the self-giving love of Jesus. We are overflowing the love that has been poured out for us. Uh, the Apostle John puts it like this, and we're going to finish up just in a moment. The Apostle John says, We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We love our spouse. We love our friends. We love our church. We continue to seek relationship and connection. Why? We love because he first loved us. And that's how to love and relate in a broken world, even when it's hard. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its honesty um, about our life in a broken world. Lord, we pray that you might transform us from the inside out so that we seek gospel-shaped relationships where the love you have shown us overflows into the way that we love others. And Lord, we pray that this uh, church might be a place where there are real, rich relationships of deep connection where we work well through our difficulties and disconnection. So the relationships here might point to a greater love that you have for us in Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Uh, if the band want to come up, we're going to respond uh, by singing together. Uh, the song we're going to sing is, is a prayer that we might love one another as God has loved us. Uh, because in Christ, we are one body uh, we are the people of God. Uh, so please stand as we uh, sing and pray this together.